But Father, we love you, Lord. God, we so desperately need you. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Lord, with you, all things are possible. And so, God, we're your people. We're here. We're gathered together. We're called by your name. We're here to attend on your word. And so, God, would you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, drive your word into our hearts, into our minds, Lord. Let your word reign over our lives. God, we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. And so, Lord, I'm just praying that you'll take the weakness of my flesh. Once again, Lord, would you just set that aside and have your way with your people? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we saw the author of the book was likely Jude, the brother of James. Uh, we also saw that the apostle Jude would, would, would work as the author of the book. Uh, he does not primarily identify himself as the brother of Jesus, but rather the servant of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that uh, in some depth last week. Then we looked at the recipients. It's to the sanctified right, to those that God has set apart, that those that God's made holy unto himself. And we saw that that's our position when we put our faith in Christ at salvation. And what, what Jesus buys, he keeps, right, the preserved. That's that word that's translated as preserved in this same book is translated as keep, kept, and reserved in verses 6, 13, and 21. And then we looked at the fact that it's written to the, to the called, okay? And so we talked about a call of salvation that's given to all, that's first, but that call continues after salvation. And then in verse two, we looked at the blessing. So here we are in verse three. He gets to the reason for the writing of this book. Verse three says, Beloved, when I gave, you, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So he wanted to write another book like the book of Romans, right? He wanted to write a book that, that, that made clear the doctrine of salvation, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let him over the need to warn believers of, the, the, the need to warn believers of their need to contend for the faith. Now, when we're talking about the common salvation, let's just clarify this before we move on. Uh, it's not common in that it's mean or, or average or, or just, you know, mundane. No, no, no. Okay, the salvation is not common in that it is cheap. It's common because it comes from a common source, and that's the person of God himself. God's salvation is common in that it is offered to all, both Jew and Gentile. God's salvation is offered to all of Adam's race. So I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. I couldn't because there is something far more pressing that we need to address. So here we get to it in the second half of the verse. We see the need to com you know, this command to contend as saints. He said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He said, it was needful, okay? Needful, okay, if I have a want, that thing that I want is optional, okay? I want it, but I don't have to have it. If I need something, well then, I have to have it, okay? It, it must be appropriated in my life. So it's a moral necessity, he's saying. In, the, 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 this, this concept, this problem, this issue that I'm writing to you about, you have to hear it. And I'm doing it to exhort you. 
right? I'm calling on you, I'm beseeching you to earnestly contend. The word contend means to fight for, to fight against others, okay? So you're not just fighting against the air, there's actually an enemy. So the command is to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So there are people who are against this faith, right? They're twisting and subverting the truth of God's word. They are twisted false teachers. And, you know, they're telling lies. They're telling lies on God. They're telling lies on the Bible. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't get to let that stand. Somebody has to speak up. Amen? Mm, I'm praying for you. Okay, so. You need to contend, you need to, you need to fight for the faith. Now the faith, that's whenever we're talking about the faith, that's the whole data set. Uh, this isn't a reference to some creed or some list, uh, right? It, it's, 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 and we'll talk about it here in just a second, okay? It is a reference to the truth of God's word. The faith is not insufficient or defective in that it requires your help to establish it, right? You, you have to help it be true. No, 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 it is what it is. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's word always stands, it will stand. Whether you defend it, whether you, whether you preserve and protect it or not, it will stand. So what are we talking about? We're talking about contending for the faith in other words, the doctrine of God's word, the truth of God's word, the faith is the whole of the gospel and the subsequent way that the church follows the word of God in faith. It's the whole of the gospel and the way we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now here's the problem, and this is why Jude is writing uh, this faith. The faith is under attack. There is a battle, there is a war being waged on the faith. And again, we looked at this in our introduction. In verse 18, we see why. It's a key warning summary verse, giving warning of very real dangers. Verse 18 says, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. So the whole issue here that we're looking at in this book of Jude, and it's fitting for our, you know, a short prophecy series, one of the things that you have to be aware of, you have to be concerned about, is the proliferation. I mean, just, uh, it's, it's running amok, okay? It is compounding exponentially, false teaching and false teachers, and we have to be aware. Again, I gave you the homework of Second of Peter chapter two. We're gonna be referencing that quite a bit in our study of the book of Jude. Jude says, I'm writing because there are apostates. There's false teachers that are working to rest and overthrow the clear doctrine that scripture declares over our life. And so it's a critical need, right? False teachers must be opposed by believers. How? How do we oppose false teachers? Well, the church needs a warning ministry. That's how we do it. Because we need reminders to keep us sticking with the stuff. Look at Colossians chapter one. Uh, Paul is saying much the same uh, to the church at Colossae. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, 
and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Verse 25, he says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations and now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is everything, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and the life of Christ in his people. It's everything. So here it is, verse 28. This is why I gotta warn you. This is why This is why we have to make sure that God's people are correct on what God's word says. Verse 28 says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So we have to warn people against error. We have to teach them what is right. Why? Because you wanna be found whole, you wanna be found correct, you wanna be found, um, uh, you know, in terms of your life and how you lived out the word of God. You wanna be on point at the judgment seat of Christ. We wanna present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, this is why I'm working so hard. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. But today, what we have, there is no, there's very little warning taking place in the church today, and as a result, we have many churches that are failing in the faith. Um, you know, here, we don't, we don't make a big deal about it. Uh, we don't bring it up all the time, but in English, our final authority, the standard of God's word, it's found in the King James Bible. It is the only English Bible that is translated, that is sourced solely from the received text from the texts that the, 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 the scriptures that the church received and used and bled and died, defending and living out, okay? The, 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 the King James Version of the Bible is the only English translation that's based solely on a Textus Receptus. Every other modern translation is, I mean, it has readings. There are, trans, there, there are, there are parts that are translated from ever-evolving, ever-changing eclectic texts. texts. And so what, what do you do with that? Do we have the certainty of the, tr- you know, do we have the certainty of the words of truth or not? And what you're seeing in the evangelical church today is a shift from the certainty of the words of truth to opinions of, of critical scholars. It's like, who has the most letters behind their name? Let's get their opinion on what God said. Man, I, I, I wanna learn how to read English, because I'm an English speaker, and I want to be able to go to the Word of God and have the words mean what they say and say what they mean, and then derive the intent of God from what he said. Hello, somebody. There is safety in that. So there's a shift away from the certainty of the words of truth. You've got people who put on seminars all right, literally, they put on seminars in how to convert churches over from King James to, to the modern translations. 
There's a shift away from interpreting the word of God based on what it says. Interpreting it by itself, there's a shift from that to an allegorical approach to interpretation. Oh, now look, no, this is great. Now the Bible says whatever we want it to mean. There's a shift toward resting the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, God, when he gave us his word, he said what he meant and he meant what he said. The words of scripture are the key to understanding what the Bible is saying to God's people. But no, we wanna rest it, we wanna give excuses and reasons and histories for why it's not saying what it plainly says on its face. There's a shift away today from every member being equipped and functioning as a, min, as a minister, right, as a, as, a, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to a membership that's little more than attending an hour of service per week and some giving. There's a shift from ministers of Christ, every, ch- every church member being equipped to function in service to the Lord Jesus Christ and his people, to people just having a form of godliness but no reality in their life. So we have to warn every man, we have to teach every man that we might present them correct, complete, mature in Christ Jesus. So we have to contend for the faith. To contend means to fight, right? It means to engage in combat. So there's a war raging around the truth. The war is already going. And so to just sit and watch people twist and misrepresent scripture, that cannot happen in our local churches. So what do we do when you see a false teacher? What do you do? Do you punch, a, do you punch an apostate out? Is that how you do it? No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, okay? It's a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6, 12. But you can't see, I mean, so many times you can't see the enemy but that's, that's behind all the confusion. And so the key, right, the key to combating false teaching is holding to and proclaiming correct doctrine. So here it is, verse four. Here's the condemnation of false teachers. Verse four says there are, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So these dangerous teachers, the first thing that we find about them is that they're creeps. They're creeps. How does a creep work? How does a creep creep? Well, a creep is never upfront about their true intentions. That's, that's a creep. They're not upfront about their agenda. To creep means to slip in secretly. Oh, they're among us. Don't look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you, bro. Don't do that. <laughs> but you might be sitting next to a creep. They've just slipped in, and what they do, okay, here's how they work. They come in like they want to join with us, but it's with the goal of fixing us, right? They want to change the church. They sound like they're in agreement, right? They're in, when they join with us, they sound like they're in agreement with us so that they can join with us so that from within they can corrupt us. They want relationship and trust with us in order to pervert our faith. I'll give you an example in the new members class. When you join this church, we walk you through our statement of faith. Why? These are our non-negotiables. Okay, you're not gonna come to this church 
and, and teach something contrary to our statement, our published statement of faith. We had a, a, a lady who, who we walked them through. You, you don't have to be a theological expert on all the points of our statement of faith, but you need to know and understand them well enough so that you can say, I can submit to that. I can join with people who are, who are contending for that. And so, you know, she did that, and then, you know, a few years passed, and she ended up leaving because she found out that she couldn't teach that the church is going through the tribulation with her ESV Bible in her MBT Bible study. Is this making sense? She, she, she wanted, when she joined the church, it was, it was with the goal of getting us straightened out on the rapture of the church, so she's going to make sure she's going to be the way that she's going to be the key that makes us understand that the church goes through the time of tribulation. That's not what our Bible teaches. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his bride is imminent. It could come at any moment. That comes before the time of tribulation. But she wanted to straighten us out on that. Again, they do seminars on how to change churches over from a KJV only to a critical text view of God's word. They do seminars, I kid you not, on how to change churches over from a church that holds to a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation to one that embraces CRT and and, and queer theory. They They have seminars on how to move churches like MBT into being very woke and very with the times. So, so you know, we'll, we'll, get with the, we'll, we'll get with the program on critical race theory, queer theory. And what happens is, you know, God's people are like, something seems off. I don't know what's going on. Something seems off. And they wake up too late. And by the time they recognize, God's people recognize that something is wrong. There are too many apostates. There's been too much damage done. And whenever the faithful member finally speaks up, well, the battle's lost. Brothers and sisters, watch out for creeps. You have to watch for creeps. Because hello, the doctrine is set. The mission is fixed. The Bible is the final authority, whether you want it in your life or not. You know, you say the Bible's the final authority. It's not my authority. Well, you're gonna find out it is. Maybe too late. There is a God, there is a creator. All of this did not come from nothing. Only an idiot, only a fool would believe that. This is why the overwhelming majority of people who don't, don't wanna believe in God say they're agnostic. I can't prove that there is a God. Our contention and scripture's contention is creation is proof of a creator. The fact that we're here, the only thing that, should, the only thing that ever should have existed is nothing. But that's not the case, we're here, right? That demands a cause, it demands a creator. Well, what is, what is, why did he make us? What does he want from us? Well, you gotta do the math. Uh, look at sacred literature. There is one data set that stands apart from all the rest. And I know this because it's full of fulfilled prophecy. It's full of prophecy that's being fulfilled literally before our eyes. I know this is God's word because he authenticates it with prophecy. Somebody from the beginning saw everything, wrote it down so that we would take him seriously when he says, here's how I want you to live. Here's what I expect from your life. 
God's word, that's not my authority. Yes, it is. And if you have to find that out in a lake of fire, that's the way it'll work. See, my opinions, your opinions do not matter. Only this, what does the Bible say? What does God's word declare over my life? That's everything. So to the creep that joined with us, with the intention of getting us straight on what the Bible is really saying when it uses plain, straightforward language, go creep somewhere else, okay? Don't, just stop creeping, go creep somewhere else. You say, Pastor, that just sounds really strong. That sounds really harsh. Well, keep reading in the, keep reading in the, in the, in the verse. They're condemned, these people, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, and he's gonna describe it, okay? Ungodly men. What we're gonna find in our study of Jude is that present-day apostates and false teachers are no different. They're not different from those who died in the wilderness of sin. We'll see that in verse five. They're no different from the angels that rebelled against God in verse six, or the sodomites who were destroyed over the rebellion and sexual perversion before God in verse seven. We're gonna see all of that. Again, just check out 2 Peter Chapter two, Second Peter two starts this way. He says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately, 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 privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, there it is again, here is the way of truth, the truth of God's word applied to the life of the believer. No, 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 you can't take that at face value. You can't live out God's word over your life based on what it says. You need to understand what, it's, what, what it really means, what it's really saying. They twist the scriptures, they speak evil of the way of truth. Verse three says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They don't love you, they want a result from you. They want some product, right? They want something produced in and through your life. And then describing them, verse three says, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It was ordained from old. People bleed. (laughs) Don't be offensive to the lost world. And on the level of you having God's truth and that making you a jerk that you beat people up with, I, I, I would have to agree, right? Don't be a heartless jerk toward the lost world. Sinners sin, you have a sin nature, you understand that very well. The lost world hasn't been set free from the sin nature. Uh, a lost man's gonna think like a lost man, he's gonna live like a lost man. It ought to break your heart and get and bring you to a place where you have compassion on them. The truth shouldn't make you proud and and, and despising those who don't have it, right? If you've got the truth, it ought to break your heart for those that don't. But tell them the truth. Tell, Tell people what God's word says. In John 6, verse 61, Jesus lays down some tough doctrine. Uh, You can check it out in John chapter six. And it freaked the disciples out. Verse 61 says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, at what he was saying, what he was teaching, 
he was explaining what his body and his blood were in the saving of mankind. His disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, doth this offend you? Are you offended because I tell you the truth? Are you offended because I give you the word of the living God? Jesus told them hard truth, why? Because they had to hear it, they needed it. At the end of the day, it's not the lost man that you have to worry about offending so much as offending God, right? Don't offend, I don't wanna offend God by going along to get along and allowing false teachers to have a place of prominence with God's people. I don't want to allow, I don't want people to get away with turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now why are they like this? Why do they do this? Why do they take the plain meaning of Scripture and twist it this way? Well, the text says they're ungodly. They're ungodly. They don't want God in their life. They don't want to live out the life that God has given for them to live out. They're ungodly. And that begs the question this morning, do you savor the things of God? Do you want to live, walk in his spirit, in his presence? Do you live your life acknowledging the person of Christ in your life, in your heart? Do you want God in your life? Or do you want to just go away that's right in your own eyes? Do what seems right to you? Look at their deadly doctrine. They want to take the grace of God and make it lasciviousness. What's their goal? What's their focus? To turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now the grace of God, how does that work in the life of the believer? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we're saved, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, you don't get a right relationship with God through your own works, through your own ability. The wrongs that you've committed put you in a place of damnation. So you made the mess, but you can't fix it. Okay, it must be, salvation must be by the grace of God. Well, that comes through faith. You have to believe God. Romans ten seventeen says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So at some point in your life, you had to have heard the word of God, the good news that said, your sin separates you from God. But the great news is that God loves you so much, he's not willing that you perish. Christ himself became your sacrifice for sin. And if you will, in repentance of sin, humble yourself and call on Christ for mercy, forgiveness, right, in faith that he died for your sin, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. You're not praying to a corpse, you're praying to the living, resurrected, eternal God. Uh, you'll be saved, you'll be born again. That faith, that's the conduit that God uses to pour his grace out in the life of the believer. Believing on the word of God, responding to the word of God in faith, produces the grace of God in the life of the believer. It's not by their works, it's not by their effort. Any point of life in the flesh cannot accomplish appropriating the grace of God. It all has to be through faith in his word. Now, the creep wants you focused on your life in the flesh. 
The creep wants you focused not on what God says, but what your flesh wants, right? What your flesh wants versus what the word says. So they take the gospel and then they show reasons from scripture to pervert it, to pervert what it says and then use it as a license to sexual sin. See, lasciviousness is that that is in the unregenerate heart. Check out Mark chapter seven and verse 20. Jesus says, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man proceed, here it is, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, here it is, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter one. Just keep a finger here in the book of Jude and look at Romans chapter one. See, the creep wants you focused on not submission to God according to his word, but rather how you can live and satisfy the appetites of your flesh. And this is the way it works. James like, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation, but it was, it was a moral necessity for me to talk to you about contending for the faith because there are false teachers that are seeking to deceive God's people and get them not living Christ but self, to get them not living in the grace of God but turn it to lasciviousness. And so you see this exact same pattern in Romans chapter one. Paul, again, here's the foundation. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Then in verses 18 through 20, we see the wrath of God is shown against the sin of man. We see the reality of it in creation. Uh, creation itself declares God's power and Godhead. So nobody has an excuse, but now watch this, verse 21. Or I'm sorry, yeah, verse 21. <coughs> because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I mean, they get PhDs in denying God. UMKC's full of them. and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, so they recognize God, they don't wanna to submit to God, they wanna to live to satisfy the flesh, so God says, okay, live your best life now, see how that works out for you. So God gave them up, verse 24, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Why? Verse 25, they're ungodly. They changed the truth of God into a lie. Verse 25 says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So because of that, verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense 
of their error, which was meat. It was proper. It was appropriate. So it's a, it's a polite King James way of describing the homosexual lifestyle. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It can get so bad that you can get to the place where you can't even think right. Being filled, here it is, with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. James says, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Why? Well, because they're ungodly, because they are from old condemned to destruction. Second Peter 2, verse 20, says if a, it, it says, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. You knew the truth, but you wouldn't submit to the truth. You went away that's right in your own eyes. And here's how we describe it, verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. See, these are not God-called teachers. They are self-appointed twisters of scripture. Watch the warnings over and over. Let me just take you on a short tour. Uh, These warnings against false teachers, don't be deceived. First Timothy four, verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. They can't even do what's right. Romans 16.18, these ungodly false teachers, they serve not, right? For they are such, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good works, or by, by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Second Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They look like us, but they're actually creeps, <laughs> right? They look like God's people, God's ministers, but, but they're actually apostates. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Why do they follow this deadly path? Why do they thumb their nose at God, despise his word, and go away that's right in their own eyes? And more than that, it's not just them, they want to take you with them. Why do they, why do they follow this deadly path? Well, the text says they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. 
and it will be described as we go through the book of Jude, this condemnation. Why? Well, they're ungodly men. It's who they are. It's their nature. But I want you to understand this word beforehand literally means to write before. In other words, the judgment that awaits the apostates, these false teachers, it was stated from the beginning. It was stated of old. You and I, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. See, a lot of people want to make the case that before the foundation of the world, God in his heart, his plan, it was good to him. He just decided part of humanity would be blessed with all spiritual blessings and be with him in eternity. And part of humanity from the beginning, for no reason, uh, he just assigns them to eternal damnation. And there's no free will involved. Well, that's not, whenever you compare Scripture with Scripture, that's not the case that the Word of God is making for judgment, okay? Uh, God exists outside of the space-time continuum, okay? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, okay? He's outside of space-time. He is called literally the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's who God is. So you and I, we're stuck in a time stream, okay? We, in terms of our life in the flesh, we're living moment by moment, and we're just moving forward through time. Well, God is outside of that bubble, and he sees everything. He sees the whole thing unfold. And so before the foundation of the world, those who chose Christ, well, he chose them right back to all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in the person of Christ Jesus. You can read all about that in Ephesians chapter one. Uh, you chose, God saw you in time, choose the Lord Jesus Christ, so he chose you right back. Or he saw you in time, refused the Lord Jesus, and so he refused you right back. And all of that was written down from old, right? Of old time. The judgment that awaits apostates has already been declared. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God, so are the wicked. Because God pronounces judgment on the actions that have not yet happened, that does not mean that he makes them happen. Uh, John Phillips gives a great illustration of this. He says, God's knowledge, his foreknowledge, is both absolute and flawless. He foresees and foreknows all of the events of time. We watch the rerun of a movie, and we can tell others who are watching it for the first time what is going to happen next. Watch this part, we say. He's going to dive right off that cliff. Want me to tell you who killed him? Well, that's the same kind of foreknowledge that God has. He's already seen the movie, so to speak. Some parts of human history, he tells us ahead of time in the prophetic scripture. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? Because he declares judgment doesn't mean he makes the sin happen that requires the judgment. No, he's so willing, he doesn't want any to perish. He gave you a free will. He told you up front what would happen if you reject him. The only source of life in all of creation, it's Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you do not have life. So God takes the deception of false teachers, the deception that they proliferate and it's resulting damage very serious. It offends him when his people are led astray. In Matthew 18, verse six, the Bible says, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him 
that a millstone were hanging about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Drowning, what a terrible way to die. That would be better than offending, hurting, derailing, deceiving one of God's children. Look at Galatians chapter one. This is strong language, man. God takes this serious. Galatians one verse six, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel. Apostates crept into the Galatian church and were warping the gospel in their hearts and minds. Which is not another, but there be some that trust, it's not a legitimate gospel. They're just messing with you and perverting the gospel of Christ. Look at what he says, verse eight. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Let him, um, let, let him be damned to hell if he's teaching a false gospel. And we said before, so now, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And that's what Jude is describing here. People who are damned to hell, leading God's people astray. In the last days, there will be demonic spiritual deception. And if God's people aren't careful, they'll fall for it, right? They'll buy it. They'll, they'll be deceived. They'll take, it, they'll take the bait, hook, line, and sinker. And it will make, worst, best case scenario, it makes them fruitless. It makes them powerless. It makes them ineffective. Worst case scenario, you've got people that are communicating. They're preaching the gospel incorrectly. They're preaching another gospel. And people think that they have a solution to the thing that separates them from creator, their life, their sin, their life in sin. And they don't trust now in the finished work of Christ, but no, it's, you know, you do you the best you can. God understands. It'll all work out. I'd like us to examine our hearts and lives as we close this morning. Can I just say this, okay? As we close, we finish in plenty of time. You don't need to go get your next fellowship ready. Uh, you know, this is the time where you guys, you've got the service now, okay? This, is, this, is, this part of the service is your, I mean, it's your all of it's your responsibility. You gotta worship the Lord. You gotta attend on the word of the Lord. But you also gotta decide how you receive it. Will you receive it? Will you submit to it or will you reject it? Will you give excuses against it? So you can do what you wanna do, the way you wanna do it, when you wanna do it, who you wanna do it with, how you wanna do it. Like. So this is your time to respond. And so brothers and sisters, you know, I know that there's, there's prep work for the next fellowship, but we've got God's people or lost people considering the word of God right now. And uh, we've got people getting up and running around and don't be a jerk, okay? Don't be a distraction. Uh, we will dismiss you here in just a moment, okay? So, uh, you know, from time to time I have to make this announcement because we forget, but there it is, okay? If we have, to, if, if we have a service that goes long, uh, we come down to the end of our cutoff, you know, uh, 10.30, we drop dead at 10.30. Okay, let's just say that we do that. Well, then we'll start the next service a few minutes later, okay? Whatever we gotta do, we gotta take care of business, amen? Does this make sense?
Okay, so I'd like us to humble ourselves before the Lord right now as God's people in this place. And an amazing thing happens. If you will just bow your head, close your eyes, humble your heart, God, God can give you insight into who you are, where your heart is before him. Some of you, absent your conviction and repentance over the sin in your life and rebellion against God in your heart, you're condemned and it was declared from old. You are, from the foundation of creation, ordained to destruction. You're a rebel to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you despise a sacrifice and you yet bear your own sin. And the whole time, right, even with that, yet God's word warns you to repent and to be saved from his wrath over your sin and rebellion. To date, you haven't done that yet because you're full of pride, excuses, self-will. But God's crying out to you this morning. Repent, turn to me, and be saved. Is there any here today that would say, Pastor, please, would you pray for me? I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've, uh, up to this point, it's been excuses for me to just go away that's right in my own eyes. I need to be born again. I need Christ in my life. I need a right relationship with God the Father through the sacrificed and finished work of God the Son. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Is there anybody like that? Let me see your hands. I don't know that I'm saved. Please, would you pray for me? Is there anyone? Are there any believers that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I think I've been a creep. <laughs> I think I've been ignoring what the Bible says and I've been twisting it in my own heart, my own mind, and it, and it keeps coming out of my mouth, explaining the word of God away so that I can just justify what I want to do. Would you pray for me? I need to, I need to repent. I need to put a stake down this morning and rededicate my life to Christ and submit to his word. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Pastor, please pray for me. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. How many would say, Pastor, please pray for me? Man, I don't, I don't want to be a, a rebel, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm endeavoring, um, but man, I need the grace of God in my life. Would you pray for me? All right. Father, if there are any here today that do not know that they know, that they know that they're born again, that they're saved, that their sin's been forgiven because Calvary covered it all. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that, you'd not, that you would arrest them. Don't allow them to leave until they've come and they've worked this out in your word, in their own heart, and given their lives, submitted, humbled their lives before you. Lord, for the gentleman that says, I've been resting scripture. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of true repentance, not to be repented of, that it'd be a time where a, a, a landmark is set and true discipleship begins in his life. And not just for him, for any that are, that are found in this way. And then, Lord, for the rest of us, God, we need your grace. <laughs> you see us. I mean, we're endeavoring, but... 
our flesh has a sin nature and, and uh, we lie to ourselves. We, sometimes we just, we, ju- we self-justify rebellion against your word and, and Lord, we wanna, we wanna agree with you over sin. We wanna agree with you over your promises. And so Lord, we just ask for your grace and your blessing over our lives. Lord, would you continue the work that you began in us in salvation? At salvation, according to your word, God, just keep, we're trusting that you'll keep conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus. God, that you'll be glorified in our life. We pray in Christ's name, amen.